Greetings, everyone. I'm so glad you're here, and welcome to Satiate, the Boulder Nutrition Podcast. I'm Sue Van Rees, your host, functional nutritionist, food psychology specialist, and founder of Boulder Nutrition. I also lead women's wellness and yoga retreats, both locally and internationally. My inspiration in creating Satiate, the Boulder Nutrition Podcast, is to offer you well-being and functional nutrition insights, to share with you many inspiring stories that can be salve for your soul, to introduce to you some of my very special guests and specialists in their field from all across the country, and to offer you an opportunity to satiate your body, mind, and soul. Before we begin today's episode, I want to tell you about a very special free online masterclass that I'll be teaching in honor of the winter solstice. Each year, in the darkest nights of the year, and the energetics of winter, call us to take a moment for reflection, for inward focus, and for a space to envision what is to come in the following months ahead. This year is extra special because many of us have found our lives in a tailspin in 2020. And although challenging, these tough times and what we've all been through collectively and individually can also illuminate more purpose and vision for how we want to live in this new kind of world. The way we live in the world is changing in a big way. And while many of us have felt our own darkness more than ever this year, there is also something profound that happens when we strip down to the most basic and simple aspects of our daily lives. And the darkness of winter is an extremely magical and potent time for inner reflection and visioning. I invite you to take a pause with me the very pause that winter is asking us to take on the very darkest of the darkest nights of the year, the winter solstice, and look back at all that has occurred for you in the past year. One of the most challenging and unprecedented years of our time. I also want to invite you to join me in updating your vision and focus moving forward to match all you want for yourself to sort out your intentions, those intentions that fuel your most deep desires. And of course, to consider the many ways that we can take these days of simple living, while many of us are mostly staying at home, and make the ordinary extraordinary. You can sign up to join this free masterclass by going to boldernutrition.com 
slash envision. We'll meet over Zoom on Monday, December 21st, 2020 at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And I'll be sending out the replay later that day. So if you can't make it live, know that you'll be able to watch the replay at your own leisure. Onward with today's episode, Insights from the Frontlines. I really wanted to bring in some expertise through my client and friend, Dr. Liz Gwynn, who lives in Chicago and works at a level one trauma center. She's a trauma surgeon and has been working around the clock for the last 10 months, supporting some of the most challenging COVID-19 cases in her city. She has seen it all, and she is going to walk us through some of her insights, her recommendations, and what she has learned in the process. I couldn't be more grateful to have Dr. Gwyn joining us today. I know she is very busy and her downtime is precious. And I couldn't be more pleased to have you here and to see you, Liz. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you, Sue. I'm honored to be here. I really appreciated your invite. Um, This is my first time on a podcast, and so I was actually really excited about that. And, you know, everything I have to say is, is my experiences, my opinion, but, but my medical opinion based on years of training. And a couple of years of working. (laughs) I'm really grateful that we've been able to share time together on a few of my retreats. And I know that you are so good at managing your work and then also balancing out some of the stressful aspects of your work with um, taking time for yourself, traveling, practicing yoga, retreating. And I'm sure that that's probably been a challenge over the last 10 months with the pandemic, as it has for many of us, taking away our sort of the ways we like to take care of ourselves and connect with people and see the world. But I, so I thought of you when I was wanting to have a podcast related to the pandemic and some of the health issues people have been experiencing um, around the pandemic. And so you know, it's just such an honor to have your expertise and your experience here to share with the listeners. Thank you. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's best if, um, if we start by me actually explaining what being a trauma surgeon means. And in order to understand, you have to go back to kind of my training and what I've gone through. And so I did medical school in Detroit, and that's four years. From medical school, 
So after everyone goes to medical school, then people go into what's called a residency program. This is on the job training. I went to a general surgery residency program in Chicago, actually, for five years. Following that, um, so I trained at a place that is a very well-known trauma center in the country. And from that, I decided that I was going to go into trauma, surgical critical care. So after residency, I did two extra years of training, one year, a trauma fellowship at a trauma center in Chicago. And then one year um, at University of Michigan for surgical critical care. After you finish this on the job training, then what you have to do is get board certified in a specialty. So I'm, that means you take a test, you say, I've been through all of this training, you take tests because tests, right? So I'm board certified in general surgery. I'm board certified in surgical critical care. And now I work as an attending surgeon at a level one trauma center. And so what does that mean? Because not every hospital is a trauma center. Not every hospital can do trauma. Um, when I say trauma surgeon, what I really mean is I am a trauma surgeon. I am a surgical critical care intensivist. Um, and I do emergency general surgery. So I cover a lot of things. From the trauma aspect, we cover trauma in the hospital 24 seven, 365 days a year. Everything from people falling, people getting hit by a car, people in car accidents, people getting stabbed, people getting shot, and any kind of crazy thing that you can think of that happens to somebody, a car falling on them. And that's not even, that's not even crazy because I've seen it more than once. Um, and what my job really is, is to assess people who have been in a trauma, figure out if there's something life-threatening that I can treat and treat it. I use a lot of different special uh, subspecialists to help us. Um, we use neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, just to kind of take care of all of the sort of injuries that can come. I operate from the neck down to the pelvis. I don't do bones except for the ribs. <laughs> but if you have something in the chest, if you have something in the belly, if there's something bleeding, we take care of it. Now, we also run our surgical ICU. So the ICU is where the sickest people go. Um, and I'm also uh, one of the medical directors of our ICU. In the ICU, we have everybody that's trauma, that's had a surgical operation, that's either a big one and needs close monitoring, people that are sick after surgery. Specifically with COVID, um, we do what's called ECMO. I'm sure people have sort of heard of it. It kind of gets a little bit of a buzzword and things. What it really is, is a machine that we hook people up to after putting a giant I'm not, I'm not even going to call it an IV because it's basically almost garden so hose sized, but a big IV in your neck. We take your blood out. We put oxygen in. We take carbon dioxide out and then we put it back. This is essentially what the lungs do. And with COVID, that's been a huge problem. And that's been why people are so sick 
that their lungs aren't working. Mm -hmm. So we do that. I also, um, if you have a appendix that needs to be taken out, a gallbladder that needs to be taken out, if you have a bowel obstruction, if you have an abscess somewhere, if you have a something uh, that needs to be operated on, we do all of that too. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot. Mm -hmm. And as part of being in the hospital, as a part of what I do, I've seen people from every aspect sort of coming in. The people that come into the emergency room that need ICU care, the people in the ICU that need extra procedures, we do all of that. The people that are coming in with appendicitis, but also COVID, we take care of that. Our trauma patients who got hit by a car, but who are COVID, we take care of that. So it's been, it's been a lot as this year has been for everybody. Yeah. Yes, this year has been a lot for everybody, but we all know, and for many months, many people were cheering the frontline workers each night here in Colorado anyways at eight o'clock. Was that happening in Chicago too? It was, it was. And, and I think it really helped. I think it really helped us get through those first couple months Yeah, because, because they were scary. You know, looking back, looking back on it now, it's, it was something that we didn't have a lot of information on. It was something that was causing people to be so sick. It was something that was presumed to be pretty infectious. And we didn't have a lot of data about how it's being spread, how you're going to get, how everything, you know, there, we've gone through sort of a lot of iterations of what's protective, what's not protective. And so at the beginning, it, it was, it was scary because people were coming in, people were sick and you didn't know if you were going to be sick too, but yet it's our job to take care of people. And, and believe me, everyone in the hospital, and I mean everyone from our environmental services to the people in the nutrition, the people in the kitchen, to lab, to you know our secretaries. I mean, just everyone banded together to do what needed to be done to get through. Hmm. It literally and brings me to tears to hear that because there is such camaraderie and support and like this connection that we develop in these challenging times that can become literally like the the thing that anchors us, the thing that gives us that feeling that we're gonna make it through and pulling together is absolutely so important in our human consciousness and hearts to feel like we can make it through something this big. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and this pandemic has just, it's changed the way we do everything in the hospital. It just, it changed everything. And especially for the first few months, literally every day there was new information, news, like you couldn't keep up with it, you know, and it, but, but people did their job. They did their job amazingly. 
they did their job above and beyond. And, you know, the call, the cheers for the health, for, for the healthcare workers, that, that was nice. That was really, I do think that that brought a lot of, you know, morale boosting. And I think, I think it helped a lot. I think it can get into a dangerous sort of thing when you, when you really start calling healthcare workers heroes all the time and, and putting people on a really big pedestal. But they're also we're everyone's we're also all human and um, and we're still all going through the you know isolation and the fear and the social distancing and the everything that that everybody else is going through too and so I it you know it becomes a little bit it, it's it's really lovely you know I've I've had so many patients you know that have just been have just at some point and when I'm talking to them have just stopped and been like you know, I really thank you for what you guys are doing. We, we pray for you guys all the time. And, and, and that's, and that helps a lot that helps kind of moving on and getting on to the next patient and taking care of the next thing. Um, especially when things aren't going so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the most, um, challenging aspects that I've ever experienced in my life to go through this pandemic. Like it just has really changed so many things about daily living. And I'm sure for you, even on a bigger scale, this pandemic has, you know, just swept through the hospitals and people have had to adjust and transform their methods and their strategy and the way that they operate in a way that is just so profound and it happened so fast. And I think so many of us are still trying to catch up with ourselves over the past 10 months with what's been happening. And I just think it's, I'm sure amplified for people like you. Yeah. And, and it's so on one hand, you're, it's, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. We had to change everything, but yet on the other hand, I I think you also, I try to, I think it gives me hope because, because we can do those things. We can change. We can adapt. We can learn new way of doing things. We can do things differently. We can focus on other things. And I think that that's, you know, a really important part of what will all come out of this, you know, that, that we, we can adapt, we can change things and, and we can still move forward with life. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really wanted to ask you about, we've obviously gone through some different types of surges and waves in the pandemic over the past 10 months. Um, we know summertime things slowed down a little bit and we maybe some of us started to go back to life a little bit more normalized. Clearly right now in the early weeks of December, while we're recording this podcast, there's a whole new surge and wave that is bigger and stronger and scarier than it's been to my knowledge since the beginning the beginning was it was new so we were all like in fight or flight kind of what is going on in this world and you know we're shutting what down and we just had no concept of it of how to actually you know deal now we're kind of a little bit more adapted as a culture or as a world to this virus as far as like okay, we're in a pandemic. 
But now things are getting worse. People are tired of the pandemic. People are tired of being restricted in what they can and can't do. And at the same time, things are, I, I think, worse than they were in the beginning. And I would just love for you to tell us a little bit about like what's actually going on right now in the hospitals. Like what's the scene and what's it like to be there every day? So the, at the beginning, when it started back in March, April, May, again, it was terrifying. People were so sick and we didn't have a treatment. We don't really still have a actual treatment that just treats COVID. We have things that are working um, better than nothing else. So, you know, at the beginning, people were just, God, just so sick. But on the other hand, we also stopped doing everything else that we normally do in the hospital. And so, you know, that created a little bit of space. Those people, you know, either got better or quite frankly died, you know, and we moved into the summer months and, you know, summer. So I, I live in the city of Chicago. Um, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of violence in this city. And so the trauma, the tra what, trauma months <laughs> were the summer months were busy. Um, everywhere was busy. And, you know, we got through a little bit of fall and as we're, as we're coming into winter now, if you just look at the numbers, you know, now we're testing more people for sure. Um, because we have tests now, you know, at the beginning it took, it took like 72 to like 96 hours to get a test. It was just sort of crazy. Now we have, we have tests that are either within a couple hours or within 24 hours. So we're getting these back, but the, the case numbers just are sort of, there's higher than they've ever been. In the, for the first, we're, I think on December 8th right now. Um, so the first like five days, five, six days of December, there were, I believe at least somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 deaths every single day from COVID, every day. Worldwide, I believe it's caused over a million deaths. In the United States, we're at, I believe we're over a quarter of a million. This is astronomical. I, I, I mean, these are, these are people that, <laughs> Are this is this is your neighbors, your family, you know? But everyone's tired of it. Everyone's believe me, we are tired of it. We are tired of COVID. We are tired of all of it. But it's it's not just going away. The there are simple things that people can do to help reduce the spread. Um, and I will, I will just say that, so wearing a mask is a simple thing that a person can do that doesn't hurt them, that 
reduces the spread of the virus. And social distancing is a simple thing that people can do to help reduce the spread. And I think there's such a, you know, this America is, um, America is, it's such a, it's a great country built on sort of individualism and people, and you can come here from wherever and you can be whatever you want and you have rights and that's awesome. And America is great, but lost, and it is great. You know, um, my, my grandparents and my mother are immigrants to this country after World War II. And, and within a generation, they have, there's, you know, there's three doctors <laughs> in their family. It's, it is, a, it's great. But we have lost, I feel, the sort of collective community and taking care of the community together, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, at this point, someone who refuses to wear a mask, to me, you're saying, you, that to me says, I do not care about people. I do not care about other people. Uh, uh, just bottom line. Mm -hmm. And I know it was difficult because at the beginning, you know, even the CDC and Fauci and everyone said, oh, you don't have to wear a mask. And then as we learned more about stuff, that sort of changed. And everyone, people got real up in arms about that. But, but you know what? That's how learning about new things happens you know absolutely sometimes, sometimes we don't have all the information and we get more information and i really truly believe that and there are much smarter people than me who have actually run numbers and scenarios and 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 all of that stuff where if people if the country as a whole wore a mask and social distance for you know a month or two we would really have a handle on, you know, having this under control because it's out of control now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the hospital system in general in this country was buckling <laughs> under, <laughs> under the weight of patients before COVID ever happened, you know? Um, you know, there, there used to be a thing called going on bypass and there are, just tons of hospitals in the city of Chicago. And before COVID, there was always at least one or two who were on bypass, meaning they were so full that they that ambulances were actually sent, where they would bypass that hospital, even if that was the closest hospital mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they were so full. And they just kind of got traded along. Um, it's not a great thing to go on bypass and you really tried not to. Mm -hmm. That's not a thing anymore, actually at least in this city, this state, in order to go on bypass now, you have to get permission from the De public department of health. Their answer is no, but yet the hospitals are just full. They're yeah. full. And, and at this point, honestly, the greatest, the scarcest resource is staff. It's staff. Yeah. Um, because people are getting it and they're not getting it at work. <laughs> they, they aren't. People are getting it in the community and, and we don't have enough staff because people are, are getting it. People are getting sick. Um, people are tired. People are burnt out. 
people are quitting. And, you know, you, we, I think we have supplies now. That was a concern at the beginning, mostly because most places didn't have, you know, pandemic level supply around. That's been mostly taken care of. And now we don't have staff and, and, and I'm, there are places in the country um, that literally have no, no beds and no staff left. And I am very concerned as to what's going to happen over the next few weeks and into January with, you know, with that. Um, I don't think we're see, we've seen the true effects of Thanksgiving celebrations yet. And, um, and I just, you know, there might come a point where depending on where you are, no matter what you go to the hospital for, they might not have a bed for you. Mm-hmm. Like, like so that's, not a, that's not, it, it's terrifying, quite frankly. And it's not, you know, it's not a, this is America right now. This isn't a third world country. This isn't anything, but this is actually America. Um, and, and I wish people in general, because believe me, we're, we're all tired of it. You know, everyone's tired. I I've worn a mask for my job as a surgeon for 12 years, (laughs) you know, I, that's fine, but it's you're you'll be okay like you really will literally wear a mask um in i always think of the burn operating room so the burn operating room is kept at like 98 degrees um because burn patients don't have skin anymore so they need to be kept warm people who have huge burns um like we're in there in our mask in gowns in everything for hours in sweating you know what? We all survive and we're all okay. And the patients get taken care of. I promise that you will be okay in your mask for 30 minutes at the grocery store. Like really, truly slash stay away. And I, you know, we can get, there's, you can get into a whole lot of sort of like what's important, what's not important to be open, what's okay to go to, what's not okay to go to the way, the way the numbers look right now, the way hospitalizations look and the way that our resources are at hospitals, I think people can, can, st- can stay home as much as possible for the next few months. Like we, we need that to happen, we yeah. do. Because it just feels like collectively, the country just doesn't care about, about people who are sick and who are dying from this because people are. And yes, there are risk factors for it. And yes, there are, you know, people who are at higher risk, but I've seen 20 year olds. I've seen 40 year olds. I've seen 60 year olds die of COVID. And it is not, it is horrifying. It's horrifying. I've seen 80 year olds who are asymptomatic, who go back, who leave the hospital. You know, I, I know that A, I believe that this is a bad thing. B, I don't want to get it. And C, I wear my mask and I only go, I go to work, you know? I mean, I can count on like one hand 
the amount of times that I have been in a social situation since March 13th. Wow. You know, um, like, you know, I, I did start going back to the grocery store. Um, um, but, you know, I mean, I stay home. I don't see people. I don't see my family. I don't <laughs> see any. Now, I guess I, you could say I'm a little bit lucky because I do get to leave my house and go to work. I know that people have been stuck actually just in their homes while trying to homeschool, while trying to work. And absolutely, I know that it has just been a nightmare for everyone, 100%. It, it has been. But, and quite frankly, I applaud and thank everyone who has worn a mask and who has social distance, who has stayed away um, and has not been out and has not been gallivanting around. I, I, I really do. I. I'm grateful that there is people that are doing that <laughs> because I do believe that it helps. <laughs> and I think there is enough scientific evidence that those are the things that are needed to be done to really get a handle on this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that these are steps that have been recommended and in some cases, you know, implemented for many people since the beginning. And I think that there was a shift over the summer and early fall when there was just a little bit of easing up on things. And it really, and, and the time frame where people were just getting tired of being locked down or restricted. And now we're going into this, you know, next phase where it's, imperative that we go back to those different regulations that were really helping the numbers to go down in the beginning. Um, so I, I wholeheartedly agree. I really do. I, we, we need that to happen. Um, yeah. I, I do, th I think that, um, I do think we know how to treat people and take care of people better than we did at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we do have some medications that um, are improving um, one, probably improving outcomes if you are on oxygen or on a ventilator, steroids. Um, and a couple of other things that may um, decrease the length of your symptoms. And that's, and that's great. And, and, and I do think we, we really have just to have a much better handle on what needs to be done and how to do it to take care of patients who actually have COVID. Mm -hmm. um, I think the long-term effects of people who have had COVID are still, are A, still mm -hmm. being elucidated B, are, should not be taken lightly, um, and C, are a real thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, well, who knows, who knows where that's going to go. Um, 
I, so, so I do think we know how to take care of it better. Um, Are there any um, recommendations that you would give to people as far as, you know, self-care prevention other than the mask and social distancing, but more of like immunity or more as far as things like vitamin D or that you've been able to really work with in the hospital as positive result inducing strategies? Yeah, I will say the answer is not really, but overall what I would say is, you know, A in general, and I think you uh, would agree with me on this, that um, eating real foods and a healthy diet is step number one for everyone across the board for everything, not just COVID. Um, I actually truly believe that that's a really important sort of thing that this country needs to do that we just don't do at all, honestly. You know, people have, there have been a lot of talk and talk and, and quite frankly, you know, vitamin D as a, it's not a new sort of thing. Right. Vitamin C for sepsis, you know, this isn't a new thing. Um, zinc for me, this isn't new. Um, is there great evidence for any of it? No, there is not. Do we put our sickest patients? So our um, our group um, is definitely using zinc for our sickest patients in the hospital. Um, myself and one of my CT surgeons are the two that probably believe in it the most. <laughs> um, um, do I take vitamin C and vitamin D and zinc and elderberry on a daily basis? I do. Caveat, I have no medical problems um, and I don't take any medications. So I am okay with any sort of side effect or anything that would come from any of those by taking it. Um, I think that, you know, the decision to do all of those things really has to come between, you know, a person and their physician in terms of, you know, what you recommend. Um, Although quite frankly, I took all of those things for two years before COVID ever hit, <laughs> you know, also. Exactly. So, you know, um, while I don't think there's a, there, I certainly don't, I don't believe that any of it is a magic, magic silver bullet. Um, I think that there has been enough evidence that people who have low vitamin D have worse symptoms and outcomes. That's true for actually a lot of sort of um, medical problems. Mm -hmm. Am I advocating that everyone needs to take vitamin D as a supplement? No, because I don't know everyone's own personal sort of stuff. And that's really kind of the bottom line of it is, you know, what are your, what are your baseline medical problems? What are your baseline things? What is your sort of um, risk benefit with taking any kind of vitamin supplements. Mm -hmm. And so I don't globally recommend kind of anything, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's, for prevention of COVID, um, stay away from people. That's the best <laughs> way to prevent it, quite frankly, Sue. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, I know that to be true. Um, and what's the best way to prevent spreading it? Wear a mask and stay away from people. 
that's where we have right. That's where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and again, we, we have some treatments that, that do seem to help some people. Um, and, and so I think that that is a little bit encouraging and that, and that I feel like we know how to take care of people better. That being said, still, absolutely 100%, I don't wanna get COVID. I don't want anybody in my family or anybody, I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't, I'm gonna back up. I wouldn't wish COVID on anybody because the people that get sick, it's really bad. The people that die, it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. And, and again, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a trauma and ICU surgeon. I literally spent my, my whole career, my whole everything. I take care of the sickest people. I take care of the people that, um, have, you know, 12 bullets in them. I take care of the sickest people after surgery. I take care of sepsis and infection, all that. I literally take care of the sickest of the sick. People who are who are actually really ICU sick with COVID are the sickest people I have ever seen. Oh, that is- and it was, And it's horrifying. <laughs> it really I'm is. Sure. I'm sure. And, you know, this is exactly why I wanted to have you on the podcast today is because I think like a real example, a real life person who is seeing how horrific this virus is in the hospitals is like maybe the wake up call we all need to just put our masks on, stay home and really do the best we can to collectively join together as a country. And I say country because obviously there's other countries in this world that are doing a better job at getting rid of this, you know, pandemic to the level of their ability. And I just, I'm shocked that we can be this horribly, you know, just downtrodden by it for this long. Um, Yeah. So Thank you for that really honest and transparent visual of what's really going on. And, and I hope that also, um, you know, and I'm not the first person that's been somewhere talking about it and how horrible it is, you know, there, there's everyone out there and a lot of people and, it, and in the end, it, it feels like it's taking people seeing for themselves, you know, but that's the problem is, is I don't want you to have to see for yourself. I don't, I really don't. I don't want you to have to see for yourself. Um, And, you know, if you were asymptomatic, but you had it and, you know, well, that's probably great for you actually then, because Hopefully, I think we still don't know the answer. Maybe you actually have immunity from it, you know? Um, but but I really just, I don't want people to have to see for themselves. And, and again, I, I really do think that there are simple things that people can do to protect themselves, protect their family, and protect other people um, that, you know, aren't gonna, it's not gonna last forever. Although I think masks are here to stay, especially in the hospital setting. Um, I, 
you know, it, it's really a way of sort of reducing the spread of respiratory viruses, whether you're talking about influenza or just like, honestly, like the common cold or anything. I, you know, um, and actually, I actually think that that is one part of all of this that is not going to go away. And I'm okay with it. <laughs> I really am. Um, I am okay with it. And I think from now on during, especially during winter months, during everything, even if it's not a mandate, I will be wearing a mask in and around the hospital, in and around people because, um, because I, I think they work in preventing these things. Absolutely. Not, and not just think, they do. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's something that's really, that isn't actually going to be that's going to go away. I do think that in the hospital setting, in the doctor office setting, you know, I, I think that that's actually going to be a thing that stays around. And I, and I think that that's the right thing. Yeah. So on that note, I know that there's this pending vaccination coming down the pikes here later this month. And I know there's a lot of questions out there whether people should take the vaccination or not, or what this mRNA aspect of the vaccination means, because it's um, something that most of us haven't seen before. And I thought you'd be the perfect person to give us just a little walkthrough of this new mRNA vaccination and how it works and sort of your take on the science behind that. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of this distrust, mistrust, misinformation, disinformation comes back to the whole politi politicalization of, of everything when, when it's really a public health issue. So, and I think that words and how people use words really has a lot to do with it. You know, this Operation Warp Speed and uh, sort of other ways that have been referred to this whole process of, you know, um, creating and then implementing a vaccine for COVID really, I think they have really strong connotations, you know, I, I do. So, you know, we, at, I have always been sort of pro-vaccine, um, having gone to medical school, having, um, you know, read a fair amount of the literature on it. I am not an immunologist. I am not an infectious disease. So this is coming from a, you know, physician, surgeon that, uh, that reads about these things. It, it you know, um, I think vaccines, the, the point of vaccines are to help people prevent or help people from getting a disease that can kill them. Like that's what vaccines are, you know, um, uh, polio, measles, <laughs> tetanus, <laughs> you know, that, that's sort of the point. So so quite frankly, I actually think it's um, a wonderful, I don't even have the adjectives for it. I think it's such a testament to the scientists and doctors who've worked on, who've been working on this all year, 
that they created a vaccine um, for this new virus. They have put it through phase one, two, and three trials. And with everyone working together with funding to back it, they really were able to kind of get rid of a lot of sort of red tape and sort of nonsense that sometimes prevents these things from being done quickly. That doesn't mean that it's being done not safely, all right? So everyone's talking about how this is a new vaccine, new kind, this mRNA. So they've actually been known about, have been working on mRNA vaccine this for, for about 10 years. So it's actually really not that new. They just really have never had something that they could use it for, honestly. And there are a couple different kind of vaccines, different kind of vaccines. Um, some are a live attenuated or weakened virus. Some are inactivated virus. Some are pieces of virus. Some are pieces on a vector. You know, there's lots of different ways. The whole point of vaccine is to introduce your body to a virus in a way that A, doesn't actually give you the full virus, but allows your body to create immunity against it. And so mRNA is really just sort of the stuff that makes proteins. And that's what kind of your body is made up of. And so the way that COVID infects cells is that there's a big protein on it. That's how it enters cells. So this vaccine, and quite frankly, there are, there are people, there's a, actually a whole list of places that are working on vaccines. They actually aren't all mRNA. The two big ones, Moderna and Pfizer are mRNA vaccines. So what it does is the mRNA makes this protein in your body, your body creates the immunity towards it, and then the mRNA goes away. It actually doesn't stick around. It doesn't even go into your nucleus, which is where your DNA is. So people are, people hear RNA, mRNA, they think DNA, they think it's gonna change your genetic code. No, not at all. It's not, it's just not going to do that. Um, and that's really the bottom line of it is that it's introducing a way your body makes this protein, your body recognizes it as foreign and it creates immunity towards it with the hope of, if you get it, then your body recognizes that that is something that they need to fight against. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now we, they have been put through phase one, two, and three trials. Mm -hmm. Here's sort of, here's my take on what to sort of step back and think about when it comes to this vaccine is that A, um, certainly there's not long-term data. By long-term, I mean, I think the most sort of data that they have is two to three months after getting the second dose. But So the two that the two big ones, they have to be given as two doses. I believe it's about a month apart. <clears throat> so 
so we don't have sort of long term, you know, anything past two or three months as to are there any other side effects? Is it what's it going to do? How long does the immunity last? So far, um, I believe I saw there's some data from the earlier trials that even at three months, there was still pretty good immunity. Mm-hmm. But people have to understand that that we don't have a, a six months, a year, two years of information. Mm-hmm. And and that's just how it is right now. And so because of that, um, you know, they're, they're actually doing kind of all of the talks and discussions like this week, you know, with the FDA and the, the companies and sort of everything. Um, so it's not going to be FDA approved. It's going to be FDA approved for emergency use. So that means that that when people get it, they, they have to understand that, that, that we don't have, you know, longer than this many months data about it. And so I, th- I think that, you know, people having concerns about it in that light, you know, depending on their situation, their medical problems, their risks, their everything is okay, you know, but you always got to have some people that are going to take it from the start, you know, and I, there's been a lot of sort of talk and discussion who should get it who's going to get it, who's going to be first, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, healthcare workers are kind of right up there. And I've thought a lot about, about this, about the vaccine, about, you know, just sort of the research, the data behind it, the everything. And I will, if it's offered to me, I will take the vaccine. Um, and that's my decision, you know, on my part. I would love for people to actually read about the vaccine for themselves. And by read about it, I don't mean their friend's meme on Facebook. I mean, actually read, you know, well thought out, well researched, you know, either articles or actual scientific literature about it. Um, and, and I do think people should be able to sort of decide for themselves whether or not they want to take it or not. Um, you know, but again, so people have to be the first. And, and I applaud, you know, every single person who has gone through these, trial, through these trials. Um, and the UK gave the first vaccine, the first public vaccine, not part of a, um, not part of a clinical trial today to a 90-year-old. Who volunteered for it. Wow. Wow. And I, I mean, I literally like, like I cried, you know, kind of like reading it because I just am honored and like proud that there are people that are willing to, to do this, you know, and, and I've, I've decided that I, I will be one of them if I, if it is offered to me. Um, but people have, but, but I do think that people, have the right, you know, to be a little bit cautious, um, not the right to spread weird conspiracy theories that are just completely wrong and not scientifically based and nothing like that, you know, but, you know, it's okay to be a little bit cautious about it. And I think that's fine. Um, you know, sort of everything that I've gotten from, 
you know, people who are immunologists in the medical field responsible for depict, you know, going through this data and looking at it, they all seem to be encouraged so far. And so I think that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's really helpful. And I know just that breakdown of the foundation of how the vaccine works is going to be so informative for so many people. So I appreciate you taking the time to explain that to us thoroughly and in fairly layman's terms. (laughs) And um, I just want to thank you for all of the work that you've done. And I know that I'm sure it will, it's exhausting and stressful and you've been through a lot in the past many months. And I'm curious, we've met through, through yoga and you being a participant on a couple of my retreats. And I know that in daily life, regular daily life, you are good at taking care of yourself and really managing your intensive job at the hospital with what you need to do to stay calm and centered and and to take care of your well-being in general and i'm just curious how's that going lately are you getting any downtime yeah um number one for everyone listening if you have not been on retreat with sue you are missing out sign up immediately as soon as we can travel <laughs> again uh, because i want to go like tomorrow back to bali with her um, <laughs> thank you it is truly life altering um and I'm so thankful that I found you and met you through yoga retreats and it's been three mm-hmm. years and I, I I really truly mean that um and you know so so it's been it's been hard <laughs> um the first part of the pandemic was really just the stress the uncertainty the sort of everyone's just always busy trying to do stuff taking care of people it was a it was a struggle um as it's kind of gone on especially with more of the lull throughout the summer um you know i've worked on uh, there's a couple things actually that i've added so yoga is obviously is a big part and i've and i've used yoga for the past six years as a way to kind of you know find some peace and and manage stress um and i've kept up with that um and thank God for Zoom yoga. Um, I love it. <laughs> right. And and you know what? And, and while I really do, I do miss being in person with people. Just the the ease of being able to do it where you are is 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 actually glorious. Um, I I do I do love it. And um, and I have a yoga community um, here in Chicago that um, that has been a really big kind of part of all of that. And I've added a couple of other things. Um, I actually found a um, online kickboxing uh, nice. strengthening yeah, group um, that I joined in the summer. Um, and that has been really awesome. It's obviously totally, totally different um, from yoga, but it's been really, really, it has been fun, actually, just like really fun. That's great. And then my hospital actually um, put together a program where they brought in um, people from a local group of transcendental meditation. And I went through that training. And so I've been doing that for the last month and a half. 
And, and I've always tried to kind of incorporate meditation into my everything. And I haven't gotten it to stick until learning this, honestly. And so, you know, those things are those, those three things plus, you know, plus zoom with the family and my nieces and nephews have, mm-hmm. have been the way of kind of getting through all of this. Um, you know, and everyone has different ways and everyone has different things. Those are sort of mine. I have, I've found a way to do meditation where I actually truly, truly do it. Um, I found a fun way to work out that I actually do. And I always, I have yoga and I have a yoga community that allows me to, you know, stay grounded and keep my peace and, uh, you know, and use that as just a way of being and being present. So, wow. Well, it's amazing. Not everyone in your field has taken advantage of tools like that. You know, I know that um, it's hard to find those little cracks of time when you're on so heavy duty right now at the hospital, but I'm proud of you and I'm inspired by you. And hopefully, you know, others are too, because if you can do this while you're in the midst of being a frontline trauma surgeon, hospital employee, doctor, like taking care of these crazy patients that are coming in with so many challenging symptoms and just being in the thick of it, like in the thick of it, and you're able to carve out time for yourself. That is truly inspiring and something that, you know, we all need to learn from. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. You know, it's, it's about choices, right? So I do it at the hospital. Again, thank God for Zoom, uh, really Zoom. So, so I do it at the hospital sometimes if, Sometimes the meditation gets cut a little bit, but you know, and, and there are sometimes there are like weeks where, where, you know, maybe the yoga and the kickboxing doesn't happen, you know, as often as I had sort of wanted or planned. Um, but, but it's about choices and, you know, I, I don't really watch TV, you know, I don't, I, I choose with, you know, those little time with this time, I choose to do these things because I think that they, um, I think that they help me and I think that they help me be a better doctor and surgeon. And so, so, so that's why I, I choose to do that. Um, and, you know, I don't know, and it's hard, it's not easy and it's not, you know, you don't succeed every day. But, but, but a try. Mm-hmm. Well, it's impressive. And I'm just so grateful to see you. It's been a while and it's great to have you on the podcast. I was so craving this type of episode to share with people where we just could really get a reality check with what's really going on. Cause I think sometimes we're holed up in our houses. We're watching the news. We don't really know what's really happening on the front lines. And um, your knowledge about the virus and about the vaccination and about some of these ways that we can strengthen ourselves and take better care of ourselves and of each other is just invaluable. So I thank you so much for being here with me today and so grateful. You're so welcome. Um, it was just 
A, lovely to see you, and B, you know, I don't know. In the end, you know, I, I, I want people to be safe. <laughs> you know, I want people to be safe. I don't want people to be sick. And, and I will tell you, I, I think that globally in the, in the country, hospitals and healthcare workers, we, we need some help. We do because, because people are, it's, it's hard. It's hard and we need, we need people to, to take it seriously, to wear a mask and to social distance. And don't forget about, you know, hand hygiene and everything, but, <laughs> but we, we, I need, we need those things to happen. And, and, you know, and we will get through it. And, and I hope that, I hope that people learn from this pandemic and sort of learn and that like what's important in life, you know? Yeah. Um, it's definitely highlighting that for me, I can say for sure. And sort of, there's a lot of stuff that's sort of extraneous and not necessary. And, and I don't know, I, um, I, I just, I want people to be safe. I, I really do. I don't want, I don't wish this on anybody. Um, and I want people to be safe. And I hope that, I hope, I can't wait till we get to a point where we can be in person again and we can, you know, really travel and we can be with people and know that after all of it, you know, we did everything we could to keep ourselves and our families safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of Satiate. Until next time, I'm sending you all the heartfelt health and happiness that you so deserve. Happy holidays to you and yours. And thank you for being part of the Boulder Nutrition community.